0: We were the user. We understood the problem so deeply. We created it to solve a problem for ourselves. We always thought about it from a product perspective. How can we productize this? How can we build this as a product? Hey client, we'll actually give this to you for free if you let us build it as a product and we'll go sell it to everyone else. That's Alex Zakaria,
1: the co-founder and CEO of Linktree. Linktree is one of those ideas that seems so simple it's difficult to imagine nobody thought of it before. It's a kick-yourself product, especially now they're worth over a billion dollars. Linktree solves a unique problem in the social media age. Most social sites like Instagram only allow you to have one link in your bio. For successful people in all kinds of industries like music, picking that one link is a nightmare. Do you want to send your followers to your merchandise, to your website, to your tickets or wherever? Linktree solves the problem by having one link to rule them all. You put your Linktree in your bio, which, when clicked on, displays various links to various things that you might want to promote. It's a product so ubiquitous that we even use it here at Secret Leaders. Alex, his brother Anthony, and their business partner Nick Humphreys created Linktree because they saw how much time they were wasting having to update individual bio links for their clients at their digital agency, Bolster. After running the operation as a bootstrap side hustle for several years, things snowballed when singer-songwriter Alicia Keys joined the platform. It's a tale of opportunity and intuition, which Alex and his brother were able to grab because they grew up surrounded by business role models.
0: I was the fourth child, the youngest child out of four. Uh, so I had two brothers and a sister. Grew up in the suburbs of Melbourne. My father, uh, came to Australia from Italy when he was around nineteen. Uh, and my mum was born here, but both her parents came to Australia from Italy when they were around um, sixteen or seventeen. And so yeah, grew up a very very strong Italian heritage. Um, my parents spoke Italian at home almost exclusively. Yeah, so my parents ran a musical instrument store. Uh, and they also imported musical instruments. So to my grandfather, he found a, a mandolin in the trading post, figured he could fix it up because it was a cabinet maker by trade, resold it, started doing that a whole bunch. I uh, eventually opened a music store uh, and then ended up with a record label and a radio station and um, imported white goods and a retail store and a, an a accordion and mandolin school and then a, his own guitar brand and his own amplifier brand. And so I think I was kind of, you know, I looked up to him a lot growing up. And, and my parents were deep into music as well and had their yeah, imported musical instruments and had a music store. So my childhood was, uh, you know, going to primary school and then. I would get picked up or whatever it was, quarter past three in the afternoon, I would go straight to the retail store uh, until maybe five, six, seven o'clock when mum was finished working. Dad had finished, you know, he became a luthier, he fixed violins, Um, mum would do the payroll and cash up at the end, and I'd be kind of like coming home at seven o'clock with them. You know, at the time, I'm sure, I, I can't remember if I loved it or didn't, but I remember really distinctly like just being surrounded by these instruments. And even now, when I walk into a musical instrument store, I just get this waft and and like incredible sense of nostalgia. Like every music store just feels like coming. Do you know, do you think that gave you an entrepreneurial spark in itself? I'm sure it must have. Pretty much every dinner table conversation was about business. Uh, My eldest brother ended up leaving school in year 10 and, and running the family business it was pretty much always some kind of debate or argument or yelling or talking about something that's going on at work. Um and that was just completely normal. Like the tension of that was entirely normal and it's probably what normalized me being able to work with my brother and, and founding Linktree with I saw what it took to support a family through running your own business. Like I know we would stay at the at the retail at the store and we'd go home, mum would put me to bed and then they stay up till midnight, one o'clock, still working. Just that, that kind of the hustle needed and the work ethic around it is yeah, I guess that, that work ethic and what and, and what it takes. Uh, and I, I've always, I can't remember ever actually ever wanting to work for someone else. Like I think it was just like a dumb thing in my mind of just, assume, I've always just wanted to do my own thing. Many things we kind of need to undo, which i learned over the years, like this kind of small business mentality where you can't really afford to outsource anything. Um, you have to do everything yourself, figure everything out yourself, which is incredible for the zero to one in a business.
1: Yeah, the bootstrapper mentality.
0: Yeah, always figured out how to do everything ourselves. But then when you have to start with learning how to delegate and learning how to lead properly and how to trust other people, it's less of the best training ground.
1: It's interesting because I'm hearing, you know, you had a sort of role model to an extent, but, you know, at the very least a vision and opportunity to see what it's like for family members to be working together right because that's obviously what you ended up doing with your brother other brother
0: you often hear people like don't work with your family don't work with your friends but i never saw anything that was that bad because it was actually the opposite right where yeah absolutely there were tips daily every hour like absolutely yelling and screaming matches but 10 minutes later your best mates having dinner or lunch together um and i think that actually becomes the benefit uh if If you're fortunate enough to be in that position where you can just have that really psychologically safe relationship that, you know, has come in handy many times over the years working with my brother, you know, we genuinely, we will really disagree. We have kind of like the opposite perspectives on a lot of things, but At the end of the day, let's disagree and commit or spend a bunch of time convincing each other and then we move on pretty quickly. So uh, I think we've been actually, it's been a big plus for us.
1: I guess I'm jumping forward a bit here, but I'm going to ask a question because I am so curious. How do your two other siblings feel about the fact that you two work together? You know, I guess it could have been an interesting dynamic if you were just running like some lovely music shop or whatever, but you're running a fucking billion dollar unicorn company.
0: You know, I've thought about it sometimes, like how they might feel about it, but they've never shown anything but absolute pride and admiration and it's kind of the, the, the family the family vibe I'm super proud of us and just uh and love it I think you know there was a period where I was working in the family business with our eldest brother uh and I moved on from that I felt like there was you know, so much more I should be doing I've always been yeah super supportive
1: how do you think you'd feel because I guess I'm reflecting on like what your answer and thinking god your siblings sound a lot nicer than I would be I think I would
0: probably be jealous <laughs> <laughs> you know if it were me yeah I'm sure there'd be some level of jealousy or it'd be like mate you're you're paying for mum's retirement that's on you now I think but we definitely show the love back in every way we can and I think it's a you know even for them they obviously saw the struggle of our parents that they went through coming to share with nothing building their own business you know we grew up middle class and said we have a really wonderful childhood it wasn't like flush with cash it was, uh, but we were definitely not in a bad position but we definitely saw the trials and tribulations of of running a business in through its ups and downs you know obviously our parents incredibly proud and, and our brother and sister are proud it's probably maybe there's a little bit of a expectation on the on the level of christmas present now i don't know <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to your early
1: career then. You grew up with this sort of music influence and music shop around you, instruments everywhere, obsessed with music. What was your early career like? Like, Did it carry on following the theme of music?
0: It did for a little while. Yeah. So through high school, I just knew I wanted to do my own thing. Parents really wanted me to go to university. So I was going to go to study entrepreneurship uh, which was a relatively new course in Australia at the time. You know, I ran the formal after parties of the year 11 and 12 when I was in year 9. I did all kinds of like side businesses. I then went to university. I stayed maybe a few weeks, like maybe formally a, a, a term, a, a semester. And I got out of there. I absolutely hated it. Figured I could learn a whole bunch more just doing things myself and learning and failing. Uh, And again, I recognize that's a privileged position to be in because I had a house, a roof over my head, and somewhere to live with my parents. Yeah, so when I did that, I went and worked with my parents. Started kind of just working on new ventures for them, like trying to modernize you know, a relatively legacy wholesale business. Uh, we launched like a vending machine business where we sold guitar strings and drumsticks and things to a vending machine. Uh, we launched a bunch of D2C consumer websites with the, the products they are importing. Uh, so kind of modernized that. I uh, then, I was still running parties uh, and club nights. I got to a point where I was running an events company. We had maybe four or five nights happening per week. Started so touring international acts uh, and launched a record label uh, amongst it. And meanwhile, my brother was managing bands. He had moved to Sydney. We realized, hey, I'm managing DJs. I'm managing bands. You're managing bands. We should do this together. And so we decided to combine forces. And that was when Bolster Music was born, which was an a a management agency. Uh, that was fun for a while. We we had a, a little bit of success. We had you know some bands reached the, the top of the the charts or the you know top ten in the charts in Australia. We had one song reached number one in 41 countries uh and so that was fun for a little while but through that and through you know knowing the music industry growing up uh and then knowing the music industry managing bands are uh, in australia we really realized that the music industry was not taking advantage of digital marketing or technology digital marketing technology that other industries were taking advantage of like e-commerce and what brands were taking advantage of so Yeah, I'm talking about things like remarketing and conversion tracking and those kinds of things. Anthony had started doing some just like freelance media buying for a festival and I was looking at it. I was like, we can do so much more with this. like Stop buying display ads and this boring stuff. Like we can do some interesting stuff here. And so when I convinced a festival that we knew what we were doing with this, they gave us a $300,000 budget. And it was the first time I'd signed up to AdWords. Uh, And so I (laughs) went Figured out a way to spend 300 grand on AdWords and Facebook ads, basically to do four or five all-nighters and just figured it out and turned out, you know, it was significantly more successful than what they were doing just simply because we actually started using more modern technology. That was the launch of kind of Bolster Digital, which was essentially digital strategy for for music and entertainment. We grew it out to 20 people in its first 12 months took over almost every festival, like they started doing the the digital strategy for almost every festival in the country Uh, and then moved into record labels and artists uh, and into other verticals of events, comedy, film, et cetera. So about a year into that is when we realized, hey, these artists have got no way of connecting all the dots. They can only link out of socials to only one of their revenue streams. Uh, They really need to be able to connect all their revenue streams into one place. And it's actually quite a problem for them. And it's pretty annoying for us. Uh, And so we should go solve that.
1: If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner, Vanta, comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit-ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. So what, what were the flops before we get into like how successful that agency was? Like, what did you learn about failure in any of these endeavours?
0: Ah, oh, so many. So the, the vending machine was quite interesting. It uh, ultimately flopped just through. I just had in my mind that musicians were never going to pay for anything without a credit card. And I could not figure out how to get credit cards installed in vending machines in Australia. Uh, and so we killed that. And uh, actually launched in that period as well. I think we called Happy Hobo, which was basically a mattress we designed to turn the backseat of your car into a bed. Uh, And we figured out a way to design them, did all the branding, ordered 500 of them. It was very much because we'd seen music festival kids uh, go to festivals and sleep in the back of a car, not pay for camping tickets and such. And so it was very much marketed towards music festivals. But no one, no one bought it for music festivals We did sell them out over the next six months or so, but it was actually to mostly the pet owners uh, that wanted a backseat bed for their dog. Uh, And so that was like an interesting lesson in knowing your customer before you start things. Uh, Still kind of worked out in the end. We didn't continue that. One of the biggest failures was a festival website. So we got into building websites for a lot of the major festivals in the country. And for a festival, the launch of a website at the moment of launching your lineup. Is like the most significant moment of your campaign. We were spending weeks building this website, multiple night as the night before. National radio station in Australia, Triple J, announces a lineup at eight am. We're supposed to push live on the website, and it just completely crashes, and just nothing loads for a very long time. I threw up. I was like, it was a, it was an absolute <laughs> disaster of a day, and I think that was a, a pretty big learning for us to you know, stop being such cowboys and figure out how to do this properly.
1: But this is your client as well, right? So, uh, you know, also yeah. particularly difficult and embarrassing. How would you handle something terrible like that happening?
0: Yeah, that was terrifying that day. Um, you know, especially after, I think we're in the office for, for 70 hours straight or such. Um, and so we're not in a in a great place uh, mentally either. But that was a big learning in just being really upfront and admitting your mistakes and owning up, uh, and acknowledging, and, and and writing it, you know, I call I, I ended up just calling him and saying we stuffed up. Like this is, you know, there was no trying to figure out, giving excuses. I probably would have wanted to give them every reason understand the why this happened. It was just like, look, we stuffed up. We're going to make it right. Give us ten, you know, get right right now. I'm trying to get your website up. Just let me call you in two hours. But ultimately, it was okay. They were actually incredibly understanding given the circumstances.
1: So. Before we move on to Linktree, I just want to know like how big did this business get, and kind of how do you
0: maneuver out of it? bolster got to I think around seventy people uh which for a niche agency in Australia is sizable uh we continued to add services uh, it was very much digital strategy for music entertainment culture, but we began to add you know data inside services uh started connecting brands to the music, so it became very much we became the experts in how to market to a music based audience. And so brand, we started working with brands on how to activate music audiences. Um, and so we actually ended up launching YouTube Music into Australia and working with a bunch of major brands. And then we started doing music rights, uh, digital rights, and rights for festivals, so activations at festivals as well. So started really connecting the dots um, across kind of these uh, cultural audiences, which was heaps of fun. Uh, festivals have significantly more reach and more clout. Uh, than traditional publishers have. And so we ended up working with a music festival in Australia, a real taste-making music festival called Lameway Festival, and we turned them into a a media publisher. So we launched her always-on media property and started doing real journalism through that amongst music and connecting that with brands. And that was a huge, huge learning, lots of fun as well. Ultimately, when COVID hit is when that started to go the other way because it's all music. And whilst we had thought about... Uh, a bunch of contingency plans and thought about, you know, what happens in uh, what happens in an economic downturn. Yeah, we had started to think about planning for this agency. We never really planned for a pandemic, as I'm sure many people didn't. Uh, and when the prime minister announced there are no longer, you know, festivals and events are cancelled, 95 percent of our clients walked out the door in one day. So that was pretty tough. But it was at the exact same time, actually, the Lindt tree got a massive tailwind wing went the complete opposite way. So we had one uh, one business that was on life support uh, and one business that had turned into a rocket ship in a day.
1: And obviously, what an incredible way to hedge your bets by total luck and coincidence. <laughs> I want to know one mistake that I see founders make often, and I almost made this mistake myself, is you're running a business. It's a really good business. It's a big business. It's an exciting business. So Bolster is a perfect example of all of this. You have a new idea. You don't know how that idea is going to go. You certainly don't know the communication of how to tell other people, I have this idea, I don't know what to do. So you basically do it as sort of entrepreneurship inside that company, and you start that business inside that mm. company, right or wrong, but this is a very common mistake I see entrepreneurs make. How did you literally set up Linktree at the same time as Bolster? What were the kind of timelines there? And how did you find like managing the communication around who knows, who doesn't, what's right, what's wrong?
0: Yeah, it's always fascinating watching products come out of agencies and how agency founders think about this, because I, I get the question all the time of, of how that went about. It's fasc- it's, 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 it's- seems to always be that agency owners after a few years is just like, oh my God, how do I turn into a product? Please get me out of service.
1: Also because agencies have really like their job is they have creative people, right? So like you are going to have really great ideas. Yeah. It's just, uh, but whether or not you can like focus on
0: executing them is the hard thing. Totally. And because of creative people, I also think because you're just solving problems all the time. A client gives you a problem, you're solving it for them. And that's ultimately ideally the creative uh, thinking about ideas. You know, you're so close to the customer all the time because you're dealing with them as a client. And that's ultimately where. we came from like we understood we were the user we understood the problem so deeply we created it to solve a problem for ourselves uh and pretty much we always did that whenever a client asked for something or needed a problem solved or and we came up with this creative campaign idea we always thought about it from a product perspective how can we productize this uh how can we build this product hey client we'll actually give this to you for free if you let us uh build as a product and we'll go sell it to everyone else uh and so this is and Linktree was kind of just one of those things that we thought about and we were sick of changing the link and buy all the time we recognized you needed to consolidate all these links with linkers it was also the musicians that have many the music industry is incredibly fragmented you know you've got your streaming on a whole bunch of different platforms you've got your merch on another platform you've got your ticketing on a whole bunch of different platforms you've got your video content on another platform again and so and generally each of these platforms looked after by a different stakeholder your label or your agent or your manager and they'd all be arguing when we're trying to run a campaign over what was more important uh what we should lead with and so that was another kind of input into just deeply understanding this problem and and, and needing to solve it we kept having these ideas we were never very good at writing them down and sending them off to an engineer or developer somewhere else and we just really wanted to have a developer in-house with us where we could just like tell them the idea and they could build it and so we did the same thing we did initially with music we did with the digital marketing we went and convinced the client that we knew how to build that we built websites when I mean, we won a client and we realized we don't have a <laughs> we don't have a developer to do it and so I heard about this guy who played guitar he was a single songwriter that he also was a web developer and I went to his show that following Friday night and I accosted him inside a stage and Pitched him to come and build this website for us and managed to keep him around uh, to then, you know, we had maybe two months worth of his salary, his wages to, to continue paying him. That was around the time we had this idea for Linktree and it was really fortunate. We, and we had nothing for him to do. And I could just go straight to him and be like, hey, this is the idea. Do it. And we literally, we built a prototype in six hours. And we continued to to grow it. Really, it was a, became a side hustle to the agency and we also worked on it in the agency and so there were people within the agency that got to work on it, but most of the time that that agency was scaling so much that unfortunately, and I'm sure many agency owners or those that build products in agencies get this, the client work always comes first. There's always some kind of deadline, and so your own product just keeps getting pushed to the bottom of the pile. And so we would always be working on a late night. No, we'd come home at maybe eleven o'clock midnight from the agency. We'd stay up until maybe three or four a.m. answering support tickets. Keeping the thing alive, and eventually we got to the point where, hey, we decided we needed to split this and actually have a couple of dedicated, a couple of the engineers go dedicated onto the product because it was just never getting the attention, and, and it was growing enough such that it needed full time support from an infrastructure perspective at least, let alone building features. It was built into two company. It's split out relatively early in the piece to at least have its own company for it, uh, but it was very much working working with the resources in, inside the agency as well as a whole bunch of hustle at home. As you know, there there were people that absolutely loved doing the agency work. They were like, stop putting me on Linktree. And there were people that loved doing the Linktree work, and they were like, stop, you know, stop giving me agency client work to do. You know, it kind of evolved relatively naturally from there.
1: What about like the drive to do it with your brother again? Was there a moment where you both decide to go and, and do it together like at the
0: same time? Yeah, again, I think it was quite natural. We were running the agency together, actually also with, our, with one of our mates, without one of our mates, Nicky, who, so he was a designer. He was actually living in London, doing the Australian in London thing, gallivanting around making no money, trying to be a designer in agencies and making coffee on the side to survive. And we realized we needed a creative. I called him and said, hey, you're making no money there. You should come make no money with us. Yes, he was such an awesome designer, and awesome guy. I just really wanted him to be the, the one that helps us build the digital agency into more of a creative agency. We were doing it, all three of us all together. Linktree was born out of that agency, utilizing the resources being paid for that by that agency. So it was just a natural thing that actually all three of us own it. And all three of us are founders. Anthony, my brother, had been like facing this challenge constantly. It was probably like the thousandth Lincoln buyer who he changed that day for one of our clients. And he was like, what? Like, There's got to be a better way. And I was like, got this idea. Nick did all the design to start with, so it was very much all three of us anyway, and it was kind of just involved quite naturally. We've kind of just always done everything together from then, even now recently launching a fund, we do it together, everything that we do. Yeah, I don't think we've ever actually sat and been like, hey, everything we do, we do together. It's just like a very natural fit. We love working together. Uh, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses so well that we can play off each other really well, and so it seems to work, and I know I'm incredibly fortunate to have you know, I had many partnerships prior to that that didn't quite work. So when you find a way it works, you want to stick with it.
1: 100%. If
0: I ask them what your biggest weaknesses were, what are they going to highlight for us? Oh, so many. I'm extremely pie in the sky, always thinking about the future. Uh, and so tend to miss deadlines that are right in front of me or, um, you know, not super diligent about or meeting deadlines. I'm sure my, my executive team will, will say the same thing. I've always been really thinking about yeah really optimistic I'm like way too optimistic and very trusting and uh thinking about the vision and we can do all these things Anthony's a very risk averse one much more pessimistic uh generally will battle things out pretty quickly and I, I reckon we'd probably still in our, be in our mum's garage if it wasn't for me but we'd also be entirely bankrupt and would have wasted all our money and done something very silly if it wasn't for Anthony and I played quite well. And Nick generally has got this immense trust for us where we do all the kind of the business and money side of things. And he's the creative. We've just had this, this great trust between each other. The worst decision we ever made was when we all just agreed really quickly on something. And so now when we like, pitch an idea to each other and it's just like, yeah, great idea. And we're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> that's a bad idea. Like, let's examine this more.
1: Um, okay, so let's let's talk about Linktree then. I mean, it's kind of a business that I, I I would imagine, but like a business that felt like it came out of nowhere to other people. Um, a labor of love for you. Take us through the dates.
0: Yeah, so we were, you know, we had this issue. We recognized that there was, a, there was this challenge that our artists, our creators were having. It was a, a really quick, simple solution at, hey, I needed a, a link that we could put in the bio uh, that we can just change and manage from a completely separate area. And we don't have to go and edit and change it all the time. And it should be able to, schedule and reorder the links and should be able to customize it to make it look like and feel like your brand and should be able to track analytics and do remarketing and do all the kind of martech things we were doing. We quickly put that together as a prototype, launched it and gave it to a few of our clients, you know, 10 or 20 signups almost immediately and realized that actually people are starting to click on this thing and use this thing. So we should probably build it properly. Got to maybe a few thousand users after a few months. I think it was maybe December that year, someone had put it on product hunt. And I was very excited, but uh, we just kind of sprung into action, stayed up, put him on all night, replying to comments. It did really well. Servers got him, got into a little bit of trouble, but it was like this really exciting kind of moment where we realised that actually a lot of people were just like praising and seeing how simple it was, and 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 realising what we had built. About a week later, we realized that signups just started going crazy. And at the time, we had had an integration into Slack where there'd be like a ding every time someone signed up. And it just started going crazy. We realized that Alicia Keys had signed up. And we figured it must be fake. Uh, But it turned out it was real. We reached out to the agency, basically did whatever it took with them to build custom features for them so they would sign up the rest of their roster and that ended up being the Killers and Pearl Jam and Chili Peppers and Elton John. That was obviously a big pinch me moment.
1: Just out of interest, did you ever find out if it was her specifically that
0: chose it or it was her agency? Did you ever find out? The person who signed up Alicia Keys, who, who was working at this agency, who signed up, founded and signed up for Alicia Keys, actually now works with us at Linktree. Um, we eventually <laughs> t- took him over, brought him over the fence, uh, he runs our partnerships now. And so... But it continued to grow outside of artists. And that was, you know, this really fascinating moment where we realized, hey, you know, there's this, the Guardian signed up and we did not build it for publishers. Why did you sign up and learn from them, call them, understand their use case? Comedians signed up, actors, chefs. Uh, and so we kind of just really rapidly continuing to talk to our users and understand why they're using it, building out try, building out functionality and trying to solve their problems as quickly as we could. So this is maybe Jan or Feb, about a year in. So at this stage, we're maybe at about 15,000, 20,000 users total. We were maybe around 1,000 sign a day but we were about 50 sign-ups a day before product time. It went to about 1,000 sign-ups a day after product time and went to about 3,000 sign-ups a day after Alicia Keys. Uh, so it was about time we turned off that integration. It got pretty annoying. Uh, we just kept hearing these bells all the time. And so it was obviously incredibly exciting time. We realized we're getting all these requests for features that we that we could charge for and that actually be single-sided to cost us a lot of money to run um, and we needed to start charging for it. And so we built out a bunch of functionality like analytics and custom. Um, so we realized users want to customize themselves. So we launched that. Analytics scheduling, I believe. Uh, and put it into a paid version. Came up with $6 because it sounded like we'd thought about it uh, and launched it. There was a sign-up almost immediately that night. I remember doing an all-nighter, just watching the chart, watching these transactions come in, watching the dashboard, following them, talking to them on chat, learning where it was going wrong. All I wanted it to get to was you know, seven $8,000 a month so I could hire another engineer. And we just thought about it in salaries. It was like, okay, we now clocked another X per month. We can hire a designer. X per month, we can hire an engineer. It was just like completely feeding it back in. So maybe fast-forwarding towards 2019. Getting to the point where the revenue is actually exceeding the agency, uh, we figured we should actually really separate this out from the agency and, and focus on it.
1: And how many people were working for you then? Sorry,
0: it was about seventy or maybe sixty to seventy ball stars, maybe four or five in entry.
1: Which says everything you need to know, listeners, about the difference between SaaS and agencies.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And why you start to go, yeah, how do we, how do we start getting into product? Started we we start to get quite a lot of interest for VCs. At this stage, I have no idea what VC means or what that world is. I uh, didn't know VC existed. To me, a business is aimed to be profitable. You know, like you, you bootstrap it. And so it took a little bit to, to learn about this world, but it came to early 2020 after the bushfires in Australia and we realized that our platform was doing a little bit of good. We we launched this thing to where you could add a way to accept donations onto your profiles, and we raised a few million dollars through profiles from external, like overseas, cash into Australia to give to the wildlife and the and the fireys. And realised we really should spend a lot more time scaling this. Uh, and it was tricky because you know building an agency with, with clients who cared deeply about they want a relationship with you, and the amount of time I was spending with clients was taking my time away from the tree. And so. We committed to thinking about how we can transition a little bit more, spend a bit more time in Linktree. We were also starting to find it challenging to compete with other VC-funded startups in Australia for talent that we needed, specific talent that we needed for Linktree compared to uh, what Bolsa needed. And so we started to explore this this VC thing uh, and we went to LA and SF in March 2020, uh, which was a really great time to fly overseas. <laughs> as you may recall
1: I was, I was there I was there in March 2020 in LA uh, raising money for my startup I literally landed in like from London on Friday and I had to fly home Sunday night and do any of my meetings with them all on Zoom anyway it was so annoying
0: it's exactly the, yeah exactly the same story yeah essentially we ended up on the last flight back into the country uh, whilst we were in the air Australia decided that you, if you came back into the country you had to quarantine and so my now fiance uh, left the house uh, so that Mickey and I could stay in it for 14 days and we just stayed in the US time zone and just still did all that Literally for two weeks stayed in the u.s time zone locked in a house and through that period we had gone from you know the four or five thousand signups a day to 35 or 40,000 signups a day um and started really accelerating and so and and you know vc still we're exploring do we even want to do this but a vc contacting us saying hey you're the fourth fastest consistently growing company in the world right now um you should really consider funding and we were we played around with it and ultimately decided, hey, we, you know, to build a consumer-led business in Australia. There isn't many of them here. We really want to call Australia home and continue building it here, but we need some help around the table and some assistance and advisory on what we should do here. So, wanted to raise mostly from a people perspective to get the right people on a board um, and have a board um, and add a little bit of fuel to the fire to, to go scale and hire the, the right people. And how much did you raise? So that was about ten point seven million. That was, you know, one of the most fascinating calls I had to appear. Generally, VCs were quite like, no one could quite work out Linktree at the time. It's a lot more ubiquitous now and people get the reason why it exists and its place in the ecosystem. But a lot of people were very much like, uh, trying to understand why at the time. And Insight was very much, they, they could explain it back to me better than I could explain it myself. Uh, and it was really interesting conversation about where this thing could go. So we're su- super excited to bring them on board. Uh, and then in less than six or so weeks later, uh, we actually did our next round uh, with another 45 million with Index and Co2. And Insight as well. That was then, you know, the period of figuring out how do we go from, bootstrapped to having this capital how do we make sure that we keep this bootstrapped scrappy mentality but where should you spend the money where should you not uh how do we grow sustainably
1: and then in in 2022 you then raise over 100 million dollars over a billion dollar valuation right
0: how do you deal emotionally
1: with the really strange reality that you actually have a business failing, a people business as well, people heavy business? I think that's the most interesting and important part of it, but at the same time, you're also one of the hottest startups in the world.
0: I think at the time we didn't even have a chance to think about it like it was just absolute chaos uh and just trying to trying to do everything we could for both sides of the business, trying to like come up the learning curve and figuring this VC thing out, figuring you know, shareholder agreements and all those things, which we, you know, as three best friends and partners, we had never even done that between us. Like it was a lot of that kind of learning. But also, yeah, like we were, you know, building an agency over a few years with these people. It was like like such an awesome culture and such a really nice, close-knit team and so that was absolutely devastating and i was very fortunate that anthony could deal with that while we were dealing with the with the other side of it and we're very fortunate as well in australia the government helped a fair bit um to keep you know people like at least be able to continue paying people to a certain extent and keeping them around and so just even still figuring that out was hard but yeah it, it could have been a lot worse and
1: what did happen to Bolster? Is it still running on fumes? Is
0: it still going, or did you end up shutting it down? Kept it alive. It, it pivoted to do a bunch more brand work during that period outside of just music. Uh, and a guy who we had uh, we had acquired one of his his businesses into the into the business a little bit earlier. Awesome operator. Uh, again, fortunately, and we sold it, um, our shares down to him, and he. Yeah, it took over and and still alive. It's actually thriving, rescaling, uh, very much in the same space, same vibe about it. And so again, I know I keep saying I'm unfortunate, but like that's the, you know the the fact that that lives and breathes in the same kind of energy that we created around it is awesome.
1: Well, the fact you managed to find the right person—that's the hardest part.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it very similar to us, similar vibe, similar approach. Um, and so that's like really heartwarming. We love knowing that that still exists. Um, and go, you know, go visit the office every now and then and see the energy around it. Um, just definitely miss it sometimes.
1: What's been your biggest challenge in terms of personal growth? So going from a bootstrapper all these years, family business guy, uh, all that stuff to running a unicorn, scaling hundreds of people. It's an enormous shift of mindset. What have you personally struggled
0: with? A few that I can name pretty easily. The first one being like the product builder, like the, the, the guy who, you know, my mind, thinks in solutions and features. I generally thought about a feature because of a problem I was, I was having. And it was very, like, an agency it was very directive. It was, here, build this. And as you build a product team who want to be the ones solving those problems, not being told what to do, it was, like, first kind of thing for me to learn and to speak to them in problems and not to speak to them in solutions and learn how to really run a product team. You know, something I'm definitely learning and um, the biggest learning curve actually I can talk about what I'm learning right now like my biggest learning curve right now is how to be a CEO instead of just a founder and that's a massive shift like founder being very much in the weeds doing kind of everything being super close to it all uh having a bunch of experience around the table but not all of the experience and so my executive leadership team is infinitely more experienced than I am which is awesome but it's also and I deliberately hire people that I'm intimidated by and so it's this this kind of this curve of like how to actually manage them as an experienced group of people with very specific and particular backgrounds, experiences, opinions, uh, and lead through them rather than doing things myself. It's probably actually the, the hardest learning curve I've been on.
1: How how have you approached that challenge then? Yeah, so I've
0: had a coach for eighteen months or so, and and she's been incredible, very therapeutic, but also just kind of holding the mirror back and helping unpick my mind. I have. You know, advisors as well. I think it's trusting your instinct, trusting your gut. Like when you're running things yourself and you're doing stuff yourself, you just make your own decisions. And now all of a sudden you're influencing people to make those decisions more than just doing it yourself. You know, I brought this incredible board together of amazing investors and operators who I brought together because I trust their opinion and because I want their experience. And so I'd go and ask them a bunch of questions and get their perspectives. Generally, they'd all have opposite perspectives and I go and talk to my leadership team, and they all have different perspectives. And then I get into this kind of decision paralysis, where previously, I would just make a decision very quickly. And that's one thing I've pushed out the other side on now for sure. And kind of like, actually just go back to trusting my gut, take a a few opinions as inputs, go back to making decisions with imperfect information and stop trying to please everyone. And so that was a, a journey went on over the last sort of six months, I would say, in terms of like, how I'm learning how to be a more effective CEO now. It's definitely a coach. I'm very transparent with my, my team as well. Like they, they know this. Ultimately, they didn't necessarily join LeanTree because I'm an amazing CEO. They joined it for my or our vision uh, and where we're taking it. And, you know, they know I'm super collaborative and, and consultative with them. And they yeah, they're super supportive of that. Sometimes patient, sometimes not patient, which is also very good because it pushes me. Yeah, learning through doing, but, you know, trying things, getting my head bitten off or trying things and then agreeing and, and, and seeing how it works.
1: What's been your What's been your biggest challenge then growing Linktree? Firstly, is there something you regret? And then, like, just more broadly, what have been
0: your greatest challenges? Regret, you know, generally my answer to regret is, you know, the classic, no regrets, you learn from things there is one like very big very big like learning I'd call it a big failure which is that we definitely didn't do an amazing job of maintaining that bootstrapped mentality and and sustainable approach to growth some numbers we you know we're now 35 million link trees about 1.6 billion visits a month on trees, about 40,000 signups a day. So still growing a lot. But we grew our team from that five or six people at the start of 2020 to 300 or so people over 18 months from our living room. And so that was absolutely wild. We needed, there was a whole bunch of reasons why we needed to do that. And it felt like absolutely the right decision to do at the time with the information we had. But that ultimately ended up with us needing to do layoffs, um, which was incredibly regrettable and, and painful for for everyone involved. Yeah, doing the overscaling Thing way too quickly was definitely a, a, a big learning a big failure made even more painful for the fact that we were bootstrapped and we knew better um, but we kind of definitely lent into that very hard and that's still things where i'm doing right now like incredible team but definitely culturally um, picking the, the nature of do you build versus buy or do you like the frameworks around capital efficiency and uh, getting back to our roots and basics of being scrappy and more bootstrapped given the market at the moment just like every startup's going through uh, but it's a yeah fascinating journey and every day it was just like
1: <laughs> you're the big picture guy So what's the big picture? Like, where's this all going? Like, obviously, Linktree can continue to grow and do what it does and serve more people and all that stuff. But I get this sense and I get this inkling that um, that's not
0: enough for you. It's not. Uh, First and foremost, you know, right now we're really focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. We've got a lot more to do in the product, even right now. It's still day one, honestly, like we're 35 million linkers. We refer to our users as linkers. I see our TAM as in the billions, One, you know, one, two, three billion. Anyone with an internet connection should be able to get online. Something I care deeply about is this idea of democratizing digital presence and, and really, you know, what happens if... The person that had no idea how to build a website or how, have, how to have a digital presence that the world, you know, they can get online in under 20 seconds, have it their own corner of the internet, and the world can discover their talent because of it. I think that's incredibly exciting and something we care about. And so we've got so much more of that to, to grow and do, to make it simple enough that that can happen and powerful enough that that can happen. Uh, and that actually just becomes entirely ubiquitous. And that such that, you know, I bump into you in the street and you give me your link or your, your phone number. Um, this is the, the you know the the identity layer of the internet and expression and, and curation layer of the internet where anyone can express themselves not just creators and brands but actually individuals themselves and everything I care about everything that I am and so that's absolutely where it's where it's going from an ex- expression perspective.
1: Where does where does AI where does GPT where where do the technological revolutions both. Uh, help and hinder you i've
0: been thinking a lot about this from more broadly around the ecosystem more so than just specifically the link tree right like what happens to content creators uh what happens to artists what happens to brands and businesses and this kind of thing that's happened in a moment where creators are wanting to block their content from training models and publishers are wanting to block their content from training models uh and how does that all play out and so i think that's going to be fascinating in terms of from like a friend or foe perspective i think it's absolutely a friend uh, i think it's going to be fascinating to see what people do with it for linktree you know we're, we're thinking a lot about how we again like how do we simplify things how do we help do things for you how do we combine ai with our proprietary data like anyone can just go and put open ai's tooling into something and just call it ai driven um and i think that's really boring how do we combine that with our uh, proprietary data such that it actually becomes exponentially more powerful for the user um, and really means something to them. How do we automate things for them? That's how I'm thinking about it from a, a product perspective.
1: Okay, ending ending with inspiration. As a former bootstrapper, now a uh, dirty VC money funded guy, um, <laughs> what, is your, what is your advice to entrepreneurs that want to build big, incredibly fast-paced, amazing, life-changing technology companies you know that will be inspired
0: by your story? Beached up for as long as possible, but don't be afraid of funding. So much of what we are incredibly proud of has been afforded to us from being able to go through funding, learn from incredible people, the people I've met along the way because of connections through our investors and the way we've built the product has just been absolutely life-changing and an incredible journey. But I think the leverage that you can create to get into your product to to the point where you can have leverage over the way you fund and control your destiny more so is important. So boost up for as long as you can and get it to a point where it makes sense to fund for a particular reason. And then absolutely ruthlessly prioritise and do a much better job than we did of keeping you very much bootstrapped sensibilities, even though you have capital.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining on Secret Leaders. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much for having me, it's been great fun.
1: Alex Zakaria, co-founder and CEO of Linktree, one of the biggest success stories of the last few years and a humble, insightful speaker too.
0: Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks told by leading names in sport and beyond. who you know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Thanks
1: for listening to this episode of Secret Leaders. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. This episode was produced by Ruth Edwards and Saul Harris. It was brought together by our Head of Podcast, Will Stollerman. See you next time.